please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. I'll be reading Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Luke 12, 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, I ask for the, the carrying work of Your Holy Spirit for my soul, for my thoughts, that I represent the intention of Your words, Lord Jesus, here. That I not read into them what's not there, but that we feel and are moved and are helped and are saved and are sanctified by this text. To the glory of Your salvation. To the glory of Your name in our midst. Amen. The focus of this text and of this sermon will lead to what Jesus tells us disciples in verses 32 and 33. Fear not, little flock, because it's the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow Give to the needy and thus store up treasures in heaven.
this morning, I'm going to do something I can't recall ever doing in this church. I am going to ask all of us to pray about and to think about and then to dig deep into our pockets above and beyond your normal, regular giving, tithe to the support of this church. The reason is that there is a need that has come into our midst here at Sovereign Grace of a particular family. And meeting this need will be a huge lifting of an oppressive burden for this single mom and four children. It's a desperate need. And it's a need for a mother who is in no way lazy, but works really hard. But horrific circumstances have landed on her and her family. I'm going to come back to that at the end of the sermon. So let's go to the text. As we approach verse 22 now, as we've been moving through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, after warning the crowds about valuing money and possessions, but not being rich toward God, now He turns not just to the masses of crowds, but He turns to His sheep. Verse 22. And He said to His disciples, Therefore, now that word therefore is the connection. Because what he has been saying is we have seen, don't be like the rich fool who loses his soul, but use your money in a way that shows that you value God in His kingdom more than you value earthly treasures. In other words, because we who have by God's mercy been born again, who have come to God miraculously as we've seen the light of the treasure that He is in Jesus Christ. Yet, we are still here on earth without resurrected bodies and with sin still in us and thus with fears. Because of that, Jesus knows that. He knows the battle of fear in the normal Christian life. And particularly because of what He has already said to us. Don't be building bigger barns so that you can look forward to living years of eat, drink, relax, be merry. And we hear that. And fear rises. And so, as we go now through the text, Jesus gives a number of arguments to us, His sheep, in order to dispel that fear. And so I'm going to breeze through these arguments. Well, whatever that means for me, right? I'm going to breeze through them. We're going to start with the first, verses 22 to 23. And he said to his disciples, 
Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Don't be anxious about food. I've got to eat. My, my children need to eat. Here's Jesus' reason. Verse 23. Don't be anxious about that. Why? For. See the word for? It means because. Don't be anxious. Jesus says, here's my reason, guys. Because life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. What does that mean? How does that help me? I mean, food and clothing are the basic necessities of mortal life down here. And yet Jesus says, but life is more than that. Think about it. Without food, we will starve to death. Without clothing, you may freeze to death or at least be humiliated. And now Jesus says about these things, don't be anxious about them. Because life is much more than these. In other words, it's how I understand what he's saying. Don't be anxious about circumstances that may take away your food and your clothing and even basics, even, even if it ultimately causes your death. Why not be anxious about that, Jesus? Because Life is a lot bigger than food and clothing to keep you alive. Because they, food and the lack of it, and people that may take it, they can't take your eternal life. Real life. You may go without food. You may find yourselves at times going without clothing they cannot take your eternal clothing in the resurrection of your body. I think this has got to be at the core of his meaning. Because of the larger context. And if you've been with Luke here in chapter 12, in this one big massive speech of Jesus, look at verse 4 and what he has already said. I tell you, my friends, disciples, are you his? Speaking to you. Do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they could do. Because there's something after death that is horrific. And he says, my disciples, you don't need to fear. In other words, he's saying... There is something far worse than going hungry. There is something far worse than not being in the jet set of your particular 
wardrobe, there's something far worse than death itself. Remember verse 5. I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed the body has authority and power to cast your soul into hell. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't fear because that's the worst thing that can happen to you. Death is nothing compared to it. And that thing that can happen to you will never happen to you who are in Christ. Therefore, don't be anxious. Let's look at his second argument. Verse 24. Consider the ravens. He wants us to think about it. Okay. Consider these birds, the ravens. <clears throat> they neither sow seed, nor do they reap. They have neither storehouse, nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So, get the structure. This is what Jesus says. Hey guys, my disciples, listen to what I say. Consider this. Get the point and you will be free of anxiety. That's what he's saying. It's simple logic. He says, God is absolutely sovereign even over nature and how it works. He really is the one who feeds each and every bird. Oh, but birds work. They wake up. They stick their beak in to wet soil and get worms. Worms burrow to even be there. Berries grow on trees. And He says, you got it. And God God is the one. When that worm goes down that little bird's mouth, God put it there. He says, consider this. Okay, now you've got God's sovereignty here over birds. So he goes to the second point. You, my disciples, are much more valuable to God than birds. God, who, for each and every one of the billions of birds, takes care of them, is intimately involved in their being fed. How much more will He be infinitely involved with you human beings created in His image with the capacity to glorify His name through your mind and your, your will and your affections? You, my disciples, whom the Holy Spirit has come and grabbed and saved, how much more will my Father look after you? That's what He says. Therefore, what, Jesus? To the extent we get that, you won't be anxious. So therefore, don't be anxious. Verses 25 to 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious? about the rest. The argument's simple. 
Anxiety does no good. It accomplishes absolutely nothing. It doesn't help. Whatever circumstances in our lives, and we all know, we don't have to explain anxiety. I haven't done that here. I don't need to. We all know what it is. It's a, it's a constant, present neighbor visiting us. But he says, whatever circumstances that come in your life that are causing anxiety, that anxiety, that pit in your stomach, will absolutely do nothing to help the problem. So therefore, stop it. Don't be anxious. Verse 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, gone, How much more will He clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Wow, did you you get His point? He says, guys, gals, my disciples, you are created for eternity. Forever. Grass, lilies, here today, and gone forever. Yet, God Himself is intimately dressing the beauty of lilies. How much more for you, whom I created in order to be saved, in order to experience the resurrection of the dead and to glorify My name by Your joy in Me forever, how much more will I be involved intimately? Much more than even lilies. God can take lilies and make them more beautiful than the richest man in the world at that time, Solomon How much more? You see how Jesus works? I hope He's working right now. He works by saying, listen to the words, feel the argument, and let My Spirit work in you. So He says, trust God who suffers. Oh, you of little faith. Means little faith in these truths. Grow. Next, he goes on to verses 29 to 30. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. See, the argument is, 
If your life is driven over anxiety about even the basic things of food, clothing, then you're just like the Gentiles. You're just like the nations, same word. In the context that Jesus is speaking, it means you're just like unbelievers who don't know God because that's how those who don't know God in Jesus Christ live their lives. That way of living, worry, shows we don't think at that moment that our Father knows our needs and has the ability like birds to meet those needs. You've got to feel it, what Jesus is doing. And your Father knows that you need them. He says here, anxiety, fears that we just feed upon and just sort of wring our hands. That is worldly, sinful. Don't be like that. But what? Look at verse 31. But, in, but instead, seek His kingdom. And these things will be added to you. So he says, anxiety shows that we're living too close to the world and too far from trusting our Father. And the answer to that in the Christian life, which is the Christian life, battling that, is every day seek, pursue, go after the kingdom. The rule, the reign of God. And as you do, He promises these needs, food and clothes, will be added. So, here's the promise. Jesus says, God will supply everything you need to live in the reign of God. He'll supply everything you need in order to pursue His kingdom work as you journey through your mortal life down here on earth. That's His promise. We also know that Jesus promised that some of His disciples will be beaten and killed Later, the Apostle Paul will say that famine, that's that's hunger, and nakedness, that's lack of clothing, he says that will come upon some Christians and believers. Yet, nothing will separate them from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. He will supply all the clothing and all the food and all the drink and all the housing that one needs in order to do the will 
of God. That's a promise. And that was a promise that included the Apostle James and Peter and Paul, even when it was their time to be killed. He, God, did not fail to supply everything they needed at those moments. There's no guaranteed physical comfort in this world. But no trial will come without God's intimate care to give you everything you need in order to endure to the end. Okay. We've been in chapter 12, I don't know how many weeks, four, five, six, I don't know. This entire chapter, when Jesus comes out of the Pharisee's house and the crowds gather and He's preaching, this entire chapter is a recognition of our propensity to fear. To be overcome with anxiety. And what Jesus is doing is lovingly pointing us to go deeper with God in our trust in order to defeat the overwhelming fear and anxieties that come upon us. And that's exactly where His final paragraph is leading. Beginning with verse 32. Fear not, little flock. Oh, it's good to be a sheep, a lamb. If you're one, He's speaking to you. Fear not, little flock. Because it is your Father's good pleasure. He's happy to give you the kingdom. Uh, so Jesus is saying, look, my sheep, do you get it? Go back, look at all those red letters that we have just read in the weeks before. Look at them, and He's saying, do you get the Christian life that I, Jesus, am laying out for you? Do you get it? Okay, feel it now. Don't fear. Well, why in the world would you think we would fear, Jesus? I know why, just read what He's been saying. What he's been saying, starting with verse 22 this morning, could produce all kinds of fear. Really? The way he culminated in verse 22, stop living like the world. Even about the basic things of life and anxiety and worry. Quit seeking things. Okay. Really? Stop being preoccupied with all this stuff above the kingdom of God. And so the thought comes, wow, if I really stop being like the world and focus on the kingdom of God, stop pursuing money and relaxation and comfort and security as if it were my God. If I really stop doing that, will I really be happy? 
Will I be okay? Anxiety rises. And to that Jesus says in verse 32, Don't fear. Don't be afraid to stop seeking things for your own temporal pleasure. That's the first reason why I think he says, don't fear. Because of everything he's just said right before that. The second answer to why we would be tempted to fear is because of what he goes on to say after verse 32. And this is a monster of anxiety that every day is ready to try to tackle us to the ground. Start reading again with with verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And now here it comes. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay. Why, Jesus, are you so concerned about us fearing? In a larger context, the answer is, there is fear that could rise through what Jesus teaches His disciples. That is, don't seek things the way the nations do. And secondly, don't fear giving away things and money to those in need. And not fearing but obeying is what it is to be seeking the kingdom. His argument is, not not this, stop it, stop fearing, not this, but instead, seek the kingdom. Jesus here says, selling stuff, selling your time to earn money in order to give some of that away, is the way we provide true riches for ourselves laid up in the future, in heaven. And that stock market of heaven will never crash. You remember Jesus' little parable in Matthew 13, verse 44? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has in order to buy the field. Now, now the point there is what? The kingdom of God is a treasure more valuable than anything we could possibly have in this world. Okay. Now, we come to this in verse 33 of Luke 12. Jesus says, 
When we sell our possessions and give to the needy as acts of love, then we are providing money bags. That's a bank account, a retirement fund that will never grow old. That is treasures in heaven that cannot ever fail. That treasure is the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of the King Jesus over our lives. And so Jesus' point is clear in this whole chapter. Don't be like the rich fool, but be rich toward God. That is, invest in kingdom work toward the needy. And you will have a solid future of treasure forever in the kingdom of God. Now, we've got to just pause because that's going to take some theology here. What are we to do with that? First, in no way does this mean that a person can purchase or buy the kingdom of God. That a person could purchase their salvation. That is clear in verse 32. Look at it. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give, not pay you, To give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God. The saving reign of Jesus over you. That's that's what's happened if you have entered the kingdom of God now and in the future manifestation of it which is assured to you if you've entered it now. That kingdom is a gift and it can never be earned or purchased. Okay, got that little theological point number one. Now here's the question. Will every person in the world who's ever lived inherit the gift of the kingdom of God? The biblical answer to that is no, they won't. Okay, who will? The answer is those who receive the kingdom of God as a gift. That, that, there's another word for that in the Bible. That's called faith. It is those who, in the hearing of the gospel, of the kingdom, of salvation through and in Jesus Christ, something happens in their heart that embraces, sees, believes, trusts. It's called saving faith. That's who. Inherits the kingdom. Now, let me just say that same thing again. Who is it that will inherit the kingdom of God? It is those who want the kingdom of God. They want the King, Jesus. They want that salvation and what it means. It is those who want the kingdom of God more than they want earthly 
in mind. Salvation from the wrath of God unto eternal joy to enjoy His presence in Jesus Christ forever is a gift. It is a gift to those people, anybody who will, seek it more than they seek things. It's a gift to those who fear losing out on that gift of the kingdom of God more than they fear losing out on earthly riches. More than they fear losing out on building bigger barns. In the context of the chapter, salvation is a gift to those who trust Jesus' words. Quote, Your Father knows that you have need of them. Saving faith is a heart issue. A heart toward God. Toward the kingdom. That's why Jesus puts this big granite theological statement underneath all of this in verse 34. For. Because. I've just said what I just said. Because of this truth. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, I just, just flip over for a minute to, to chapter 19 of Luke. Because there's a great illustration of what Jesus is talking about with the rich tax collector, Zacchaeus. Remember? Get down for now. I'm coming to your house. And Jesus, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. And by Jesus visiting him, Zacchaeus' heart was changed. And then he said, Zacchaeus said, Jesus, verse 8 of chapter 19, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. Okay, here's Zacchaeus. Jesus. 50% of what I own, I'm going to give away to the poor. Next verse. Jesus responds to him. Today, salvation has come to this house. What in the world? Did Jesus mean that, look at that, Zacchaeus just purchased salvation? Of course not. No, no, no. What Jesus meant was that salvation changed Zacchaeus' heart. And the evidence of that heart change, the evidence of new birth, was his radical change of attitude toward money and the poor. See, how one handles money and the things that it represents. Money is value. We talked about that last, last. How one handles money, how one handles their possessions shows where their heart is and where a person's heart is toward the gospel of Jesus, toward the kingdom of God, determines whether that person is saved or not. 
Okay. In Luke 12, Jesus has been giving a long speech. And He knows the message that He's giving causes fear in His disciples' hearts. And so He says, Fear not. Because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, we can't miss that. That is key to everything He is saying. Guys, you don't have to fear because guess what? The kingdom of God is invading your hearts. Don't fear. Trust me. That's what He's saying. And that's why Jesus has no problem contradicting a lot of evangelicals' doctrines of what they think the gospel is. He has no problem saying the stuff that He's saying. Because He's saying the road of the kingdom of God in its present form and in its future consummation, which is not yet. There's a road. There's a way to walk. There's a way to live. And that walk is down the road of pursuing the kingdom, of loving the King Jesus and the salvation and the joy that He is to you as you are falling out of love with material things as your God. That's the road to the kingdom. Fear not. Little flock, because it is the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags, future treasures that can never rot laid up in heaven. He says that's how you have kingdom treasure. But it's the Father's good pleasure. To give you the kingdom. Which means, there's your hope. Since it's the Father who gives the kingdom, you can be assured, if you're in the kingdom, He will work these things out in your life. There's another example. In Luke, we flash forward to chapter 18. In Luke 18, you remember the rich young ruler He's trying to say how great he's been and all. And Jesus responds to him in verse 22. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Okay, the guy balked. He's not going to do it. And so Jesus said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who can be saved? Jesus' answer, no one! No one can! If it's left to them, 
Uh, that's what he, oh, okay. That's the implication of what Jesus says, okay? So, but he said it this way. What is impossible with men? Oh, there it is. See, he just assumed, you're right. Men, women, sinners alone, this is an impossibility to enter the kingdom of God. What is impossible with men is possible with God. In other words, God does the impossible. That's what salvation is. God gets people, sinners, darkened, hard-hearted, wrath-deserving sinners into the kingdom. And God gets those sinners to invest in the kingdom, laying up treasures in heaven. See, the nature of the gospel of the kingdom, say it different, the nature of God saving persons, sinners, is that a person can be in such terrible bondage to money, to material things, that they cannot possibly sell what they have and give to the poor. It is an impossibility. They cannot trust God more than they trust the joys and the, that they find that money and what money could buy gives to them. They cannot do that any more than a drug addict or an alcoholic or the sexually promiscuous can get themselves freed from their earthly bondages. They cannot. The sin nature of every person born in this world except for Jesus, that sin nature cannot delight in God. It cannot delight in kingdom treasures more than in the pleasures of the world. It's impossible. But when God comes in, all things are possible. See, that problem of our sin nature is part of what Jesus paid for on the cross. What we could not do, God can. What is impossible with men is possible with God. That's what conversion is. It's the work of God the Holy Spirit changing the human heart in the hearing of the Gospel and filling that heart with new taste buds for God as our supreme treasure over all other treasures, which are treasures. But God is supremely valuable to the person affected by new birth. As we saw earlier in the chapter. That's what produces that newfound experience of being rich toward God. Jesus said it this way in John 3, Unless one is born again, he or she cannot see 
the kingdom of God. In Matthew 18, He said, unless a person turn and becomes like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. The miracle of new birth puts us in to the kingdom of God. The miracle of new birth, God's work, produces in the sinner saving faith. It causes us to receive the kingdom. We can use all kinds of other biblical New Testament metaphors. That's what it does. See, and without this work, without the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, in new birth, no one deposits treasures in heaven to the glory of God in helping the needy. No one deposits treasures into the work of the kingdom being spread through message in the world. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So, how do you provide yourselves with money bags? That means putting away, saving for the future. How do you provide yourself with money bags that will last forever? Have treasure in heaven. Exegesis is not very difficult here. Meaning, what does Jesus mean by what he said? It's simple. His answer is this. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Money represents value. It buys the things we value. It buys the basic things of life that we need. And God supplies that to us so graciously. But money as a whole, its main purpose in the Christian's life, in the person who is in the kingdom of God, its main purpose is not to build bigger and bigger and bigger barns so we can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But its main purpose is to bank it. To save it. To put it away for the future. In heaven. Well, how do you do that? The text says by distributing it in Christ-honoring ways. So that your capacity for eternal joy forever in the resurrection may be expanded. So this morning, the direct application is that I'm asking you, along with me and my wife, to consider what you will give as a joyful offering, above and beyond your normal tithe, regular giving to the support of this local church, to give for the purpose of meeting this crucial need that has come within our midst to meet the need of a needy person. 
In this church, we have a benevolent fund than we've had for years, and we use when things that, boy, that would really be a relief, you know, if 400 bucks could go right there, if 300 bucks could go right there. This last week, probably, I don't know how much yet, it's going to be about 150 bucks. If it just goes in and meets that need, we have a benevolence fund here. Yet, as a small church, that means small budget. Presently, right now, we have sitting in the benevolence fund $600. The need that we will meet is about $2,000. That means we need about $1,400 to come in in order that meeting this need not become an undue burden on the normal budget of this church. So sell your possessions. Give to this desperate need. Sell your time. Earning money so that you could give to this need. Sell the next two movie dates. Dinner, movie, popcorn. It gets pretty expensive. There could be 180 bucks right there. Sell it. Give to this need. Here's how the Apostle Paul encouraged Christians to dig deep in order to meet a specific need of other Believers, 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. What he's going to do in Macedonia, they have now already given to Paul's plea for this need of the Jewish Christians suffering poverty. Okay, that he's going to give. So he's going to use them as an example as he tells the Corinthians raise money. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For here it is, in a severe test of affliction that they're going through, their abundance of joy and their extreme financial poverty overflowed in the wealth of their generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, Paul, Paul, please let us give. Okay, that's my interpretation. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul goes on. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he or she has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, or, and don't read this sermon this way, or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so, starting 
this morning and for the next two Sundays. Think, pray. If you're ready this morning, great. My wife and I are ready this morning. Think, pray, and decide what to give to this particular need. And when you do, if you normally write checks here, you don't need to put those in envelopes, your regular giving here, because it's got your name on it. But this morning, if you write a check or cash, use an envelope and or for the next couple of weeks, grab an envelope. And for that offering, write on the envelope, besides your name and all that, Benevolence Fund. And so we know exactly the monies that are coming in for this are going right to that. Okay? If the Lord is really gracious to us and we get above and beyond this fund, that, or those, how do you say it English, honey? Those monies will stay in the Benevolence Fund for future needs. Okay? Let's pray. Yeah, go get Father, thank You that it is true that the Kingdom of God, those of us who are dwelling in the presence of the Kingdom now, though unseen physically as it will be one day, that that Kingdom is righteousness in Jesus. It's joy and it's peace in the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, oh, may we taste of Your gracious gift even in this giving, this need meeting. May we taste abundantly far beyond than we can think or even imagine to the glory of this great Gospel, to the glory of this great freedom. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You don't leave us, that You continually work by Your Spirit and by Your Word in us, Your church. Amen.